for the last few weeks, we have been uh, taking a look at what it might uh, mean, what we might need to do in terms of letting go of some ways of seeing our lives and ourselves, and uh, each week a different aspect, all of which in some way kind of lead us to today. Today, in, in, in a sense, is a culmination of all of those weeks uh, as we look at the whole picture of letting go of our lives, our very lives themselves, and what does that mean, uh, and what is it that God is inviting us to do in order to live a God-sized life. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to take us to um, some verses from the Gospel of Matthew. In your bulletin, it mentions verses 21 through 25. We're going to get there, uh, but before we do, I want to read the section that comes right before it, because as I was preparing for today, it occurred to me that the verses right before this and, and that particular part of the story are an important context for verses 21 through 25. So let me read that first part for you, and then when we get to verse 21, you'll see it come up on the screens. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. And then we get to part two of the story. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him began to correct him, God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words that I speak. That they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives this morning. Amen. 
David Augsburger, author and pastor and theologian, uh, wrote a book some years ago that I commend to you along the theme for today and actually the theme of this whole worship series entitled Dissident Discipleship, A Spirituality of Self-Surrender, Love of Neighbor, and Love of God. And in the first chapter of that book, he talks about the day when he was working in his yard and his neighbor walked over to say hello. They had just recently met one another and she was curious about the cacti garden that he was putting in and so came over to find out more about that and they began to chat and learned a little bit more about each other in the process of which he found out that she was a teacher and had been so for 30 plus years at an elementary school in the community. And when she mentioned the school name, he said, oh, well, isn't that something? That's where my daughters went years ago when they were in elementary school. They left that conversation and a few days later, his neighbor came back over when he was out working in the yard again. And this time she brought a photo in hand. And she said, I want you to take a look at this. And she shows him the photo, and it's a class photo from many years before, and there on the third row is his daughter in her class. And she says, yes, I remember your daughter well. She was the one who was always hiding books in her desk, in her desk that she wasn't supposed to be reading in fourth grade, but she was quite the child and quite, and quite the young woman. And in that moment, as he hears her talk about his daughter and, and share this, suddenly there's an awareness piece and he realizes who this person is and he blurts out, you aren't Mrs. Guthrie. You are the Mrs. Guthrie. Because his daughter had spoken about her for many years beyond that time of being in her class. She had left a profound mark on his daughter's life. Augsburger says, perhaps that's a little bit uh, similar to what it's like When somebody moves from having heard some things about Jesus, maybe having read some stories from the Gospels or having heard a friend talk about this person, Jesus, to having that moment of recognition, awareness, and making a declaration of faith about Jesus. That's what we hear in the Gospels this morning in part one of the reading. Jesus is talking with his disciples and asking them to to tell him what others are saying about him and, and who they say he is. And then he turns the question directly to them. And who do you say that I am? And Peter, never slow on blurting out something, uh, quickly is the one who responds and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are not just some guy named Jesus, you are the Christ, which is a word that means Messiah. And this is the first time in the Gospels that that word is used in reference to Jesus. In response to to Peter's awareness and his profession, Jesus responds and says, you are the rock, Simon, Rock, Petra is the word which literally translates rock, Peter. And on this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And he bestows on Peter and on the other disciples all manner of responsibility and authority in that moment for carrying the gospel forward. Then we get to verse 21. And the next scene, and Jesus is now 
describing for the disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah. And it doesn't look like what they were anticipating. He starts talking about suffering and even having to die. And this is at odds with what they have in their minds and in their heads. And in that moment, Peter does a face plant in his own ego. You see, he has let his new title get to his head. He seems to think that his new role that Jesus has bestowed upon him includes being Jesus' personal PR manager. And so he pulls Jesus aside to say, Jesus, we got to get you back on message. This is not the way this is supposed to go. You're supposed to come in as the Messiah, the one who will lead us to victory, the one who will raise us back up to greatness again. What is this talk about suffering? This is nonsense. You got to stop that. And Jesus, in responding, who just in the previous scene, remember, has said to Peter, you are the rock, now says to what comes out of Peter's mouth, get behind me, Satan. Which likely, when you heard it this morning, or perhaps when you've read this story in the past, is a shocking thing to hear, that Jesus would speak to a human being and one of his disciples in reference to Satan. So important in this moment for us to to go back to where we started the season of Lent and remember that there we met Jesus out in the wilderness and he is being tempted, he's being tested and the tempter comes with all sorts of seductions to try to lure Jesus away from his true mission that God has given him for his life here on earth. And Jesus says no to all of those temptations. And then finally, when he's done with listening to what what the tempter has to say, he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, in this moment that we find ourselves today, Peter is coming with a temptation to lure Jesus away from his appointed mission. And so Jesus says in that moment, get behind me, Satan. And then he says to Peter, you are a stone that could make me stumble. In a quick minute, Peter has gone from a solid rock to a stumbling stone. And then Jesus says this to the disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Letting go of our lives. Soren Kierkegaard famously said that when Jesus comes calling, he calls for followers, not admirers. Following means that we will have to surrender our own ideas and plans when they are at odds with God's plan. Notice, to surrender doesn't mean that we'll always have to give up things that we want to do. Just the ones that are contrary to what God has in mind for our lives. It is a call to let go of our lives, 
the way in which we may have orchestrated or anticipated or planned them before responding to Jesus' call. Scott Crostick serves as the pastor of Resurrection Downtown, one of the campuses of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. And he wrote a book about his own journey and about the the journey that Jesus invites us into called Pursuit, Living Fully in Search of God's Presence. And in that book, he tells a story from his high school days about going with a good friend of his to church one day uh, in order to be present when his friend is going to be baptized. And in that particular church, in their setting, what that meant was that he, with others who were being baptized that day, would go up into an area at the front of the church where there was a baptismal pool. And one by one, the candidates for baptism would step down into that pool, and the pastor would take them whole-bodied down under the water and then bring them back up. You know, water in any form works in baptism as a sign and symbol of God's grace and God's presence. Immersion, sprinkling, pouring. But there is something powerful about the visual symbolism of immersion. When an old life goes down under the water and is drowned, and a new life, a new beginning, is raised up from the water. So up his friend comes out of the water soaking wet and without a change of clothes because he forgot to bring one. And so after worship that day, the two of them are walking home together and they're having a conversation about what just happened as he leaves water prints behind him all along the way. And his friend says to Scott, did the pastor say that I died today? And then as they talk about that, some other questions begin to to bubble up. Will my teammates notice what happened to me today? Will my parents? Will my teachers? And in that moment as they are having that conversation, they are wrestling with the reality that following Jesus is meant to change everything. This is what Brian McLaren calls the yes that we offer God. The final of 12 simple steps that he talks about toward a life with God in his book, Naked Spirituality. There is the first yes that happens when we profess our faith or when we experience conversion. But that first yes is far from sufficient for us to live fully into our call as followers or as disciples of Jesus. There is a whole series of yeses that will be ongoing throughout our entire lives. Now, perhaps one analogy for this is the experience of marriage, which some of you have or currently are experiencing. And and when you went to the altar or when you went and stood before the judge, and you took your vows, let's be honest, you really didn't know all that you were about to say yes to. (laughs) 
But you said yes anyway because at that moment, you believed deeply in your heart that you really did want to make that commitment. You really did want to say yes to this person. But then the journey of marriage is one in which time and time again, we keep saying yes in order to live into the very best version of what a marriage is meant to be. It's what it's like in a relationship with Christ. We keep on saying yes. We first say yes with our lips. And then we keep saying it over and over again with our lives. Deed must match creed. Confession demands expression. Affirmation of faith is supposed to lead to imitation of the one in whom we put our faith. And if we say it, then we are called to display it. Stanley Hauerwas says, the gospel is not information. It is a way of life. Which is good news. Because in hearing that, it reminds us that letting go of our lives does not mean letting go of life. On the contrary, when we say yes, we engage life more deeply, more fully, following Jesus out into the world. And when we do, we get to live the very best possible versions of our lives. November of 1994, I was 30 years old on the cusp of turning 31, and at the time I was serving as the director of youth ministries at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tallahassee, where Catherine was under appointment as one of the pastors. And at that time, I was still seeking to live my version of what serving God in the world might look like. Now, before I share the rest of the story, let me say this. One can fully live into God's call for their lives in any or almost any vocation, all right? We can do it in lots of different ways and places. So teachers, preachers, um, business people, lawyers, doctors, nurses, whatever it is, can live into a calling on their lives. But what I knew, or what I didn't know at that time, was I was still working on my version, which was to be a teacher and a coach. I had just recently finished a master's in education at that other school in Tallahassee. And the plan was that wherever Catherine would be appointed as a United Methodist pastor, it would be easy for me to drop into the community and become a teacher and a coach at a school there. But that November, 1994, I had gotten to know some young people in my own youth ministry that I was working with, as well as on the college campuses of both FSU and Florida A&M, and I sensed that there might be some students who were called to a life of ordained ministry. And so I loaded them up in a van and took them to an event called Exploration 94, which the United Methodist Church put on, to help them listen for that call. So we're sitting in worship the first night. Bishop Leontine Kelly stands up to preach, and in her sermon, I hear her say these words. 
if you can do anything other than respond to a call to ordained ministry and know that you are living within God's will for your life, then do it. And if you can't, then surrender to the call. And that was my moment. That was my moment for coming to grips with the call that I knew had been placed on my heart nine years earlier, but I kept trying to escape. One of the ways I process, a primary way I process deep emotions, thoughts around important events um, that are happening in my life is, to, is through music. Often to sit down at the piano and to begin to play and sing and sometimes compose. And so after coming home from that event, I sat down at the piano and I began to play. And as I did, some words began to bubble up inside of me, which resulted in a song that I wrote to name my experience that I had just had. The chorus of that song, the lyrics go like this. Here's my life. It's not mine. You have called me by name and I'll never be the same. Guide my way in this world you have called me to serve. My life is in your hands. I wish I could say that I've always lived into those lyrics. (laughs) I don't do it Perfectly, None of us do. So maybe part of the good news of Scripture today is that we can find some grace in Peter's story. Because we all do some face plants along the way in the journey of faith and discipleship. But we dust ourselves off. We say yes again. We travel a little further down the road that Jesus leads us on. One of the best resources that I know of to keep me saying yes, to help me continue to respond day by day to Jesus' call on my life is something that's been with our tradition since the very beginning when our founder, John Wesley, crafted a prayer. We call it the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. It's good for any and all of us. And so this morning, I invite you to hear this prayer. And if you think that maybe, just maybe, you want to say yes again, and you want to step more deeply, more fully into that journey of following Jesus, then I invite you to make this prayer your own as you hear it. Will you pray with me? I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. 
I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.